Welcome to the CDRB Show, the podcast where you get to know some of the coolest people around. I'm your host, Christian Rodriguez, and each week I sit down with a special guest to chat about their life, career, and all the things that make them awesome. We cover some serious topics that matter, but don't worry, we keep it real and laid back. You never know what kind of insights and surprises you'll get, but one thing's for sure, we're always having a good time. So kick back, relax, and join us for another episode of the CDRB Show. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the CDRB Show. I'm Christian Rodriguez and as every week we have a special guest to talk about his life and career. This week's uh, guest is Dr. Nathan Eric Dickman. How are you? All right. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for being here today with, with me. And Thank um, you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we were talking before even recording about how this will be and uh, I was... It was kind of funny because, to be honest, I always get a little bit nervous before starting a new you do? episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get nervous <laughs> being the interviewee. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't look nervous at all. Oh, I feel nervous. <laughs> but uh, it will be easy. Uh, one part we talk, we try to talk about your life, and the other part uh, we try to talk about your uh, professional part. Mm -hmm. So um, I always like to start from the very bottom uh, of the of the person's life and uh the first question is where were you born where yeah battle creek michigan the kellogg's capital of the world the kellogg's capital? kellogg's cereal oh like tony the tiger yeah 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 uh, is so there where it started yeah oh. <laughs> yeah uh but apparently like wheaties and all that stuff they were I don't know. Anyway, so as a little kid, I got, well, I only lived there till I was three, okay. but I got to hang out with like Tony the Tiger. <laughs> the big, I mean, it was a big person in a costume, yeah. right? but it was cute. <laughs> and how was your life when you were a child? Like, how were you raised by your parents and how was your whole environment in your family? So, so I was in a nuclear family of four. So uh, mom, dad, sister, and me. And, you know, one thing that I remember is I would always want, like, Batman or Robin toys, <laughs> right? And instead of getting me the toys, my parents would take, like, the, the stick from, like, um, like a, not a lollipop, the frozen treats, mm -hmm. right? And then they would take a cutout piece of cardboard, drawing Batman, drawing Robin, Yeah. And then those were my action figures. I had these cardboard cutouts that my parents made for me. And that was how I got toys. Toys, oh. right? Those were my toys. Yeah. Um, and uh, one other thing I remember is that my sister had this dog named Spot. And it was this cute dog. But at some point, it like scratches and bites me right in the face. And I'm the baby of the family at the time, right? So apparently, you know, my sister, my whole life has been blaming me for killing her dog because they took it to the pound and put her to sleep because it's like biting people, right? <laughs> yeah, I feel bad, but I didn't know. I was only two or one. So he bite you? Yeah, I got a scar on my face somewhere, but I mean, it's been a hundred years, so <laughs> the scar's gone away. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and how about your family right now? Or, or how is... Uh, my sister, um, uh, she lives in Barstow, California. 
right on the edge of the Mojave Desert. Uh, she used to be a music therapist, um, but then she switched and contracts for an army base mm. um, doing all their religious music. So, oh, okay. you know, she might hire out somebody to play music for a certain religious service, or she might do the service herself. Um, and she has a son named Ezra, so I'm an uncle, mm. and her husband's name is Jamie, and uh you know, I'll go visit them every once in a while. But ever since COVID, it's been kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, my mom lives in Iowa, a small town called, Lo well, Wheatland. But I grew up in a small town called Lost Nation. Oh, really? Lost Nation? Is that the name? <laughs> yeah, a small town called Lost Nation. <laughs> Why is it called three, like that? There's three kind of myths. There's no historical, like, proof of which one it is. But one is that there's this community of Germans looking for Canada oh. and they think they found it and then they realized they were in the wrong place so they named it Lost Nation. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the other ones are anymore. <laughs> I forget what the other ones are. Maybe maybe some indigenous tie. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, my dad, he left my mom after 36 years of marriage and he's now remarried and lives in Missouri somewhere. Yeah, but I haven't talked with him or visited him for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, um, me as a student, I mm -hmm. always wonder what professors do in their spare time or as a hobby, you know, because... Yeah, I was <laughs> listening to the other interviews and I yeah. heard you ask that question. I'm like, what am I going to say? <laughs> I don't even know what, I, what even is spare time. Yeah. Do you have spare time? I don't know. I, is I think... this, do you call this your spare time or is this work? Well, that's an <laughs> interesting question, you know? Uh, maybe both. <laughs> right? A little bit of both. So yeah. do you consider it spare time or not? Mm, maybe yes, because I could do... A, do you get paid? Uh, no. Do you get a grade? No. I think it is a spare time, right? <laughs> well, do you, get, do you put it on your resume? Yes. I don't know if that's spare time anymore. <laughs> well, I enjoy doing it, so for me... It's if you enjoy it, it's spare time? Yeah. Well, I enjoy teaching, so I guess I teach in my spare time. <laughs> and you get paid for that. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, a little. So right? what, no, what no, will you teaching, say? Teaching is for free. I get paid to do all the other like what? paperwork and stuff like that. Teaching the is teaching free is free. It's, the, it's all the like committee work and all that. That's what I get paid for because I wouldn't <laughs> do it if I wasn't paid. Huh. <laughs> right. I don't want to I don't want to do. I don't want to chase down absent students and submit eye care alerts and all that kind of labor. Mm -hmm. Right. Even even uh, I'm trying to think of other annoying things about this job. Um, things that you just don't want to do. Assessment. Right. A lot of people. I personally, I actually like assessment, but don't tell anybody that. <laughs> Wait, I just said that on air, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> okay. So, so um, assessment is where, like, I've got to collect information and report it to the school to prove that the philosophy program or my classes are meeting the expectations or objectives for the university, for yeah. the program. And there's kind of this mm, regional accreditor called the HLC, I don't, mm -hmm. Higher Learning Commission, okay? So I've got to prove to them that I'm doing quality work. But a lot of that is not related to teaching. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is statistical data. And that's fine. I'm happy to do statistical data as long as I get paid for it. <laughs> I would rather not do it, though. 
So for you, teaching is free spare time. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> but but honestly, okay. So in my spare time, I have a dog. I try to walk my dog every day. Play with my dog. Uh, her name is Millie. She is a Australian cattle dog mixed with a Boiseron, which is kind of close to a whatever a Doberman or something. I don't know. Um, and I like to play fetch with her, um, teaching her a couple other tricks besides shaking, <laughs> teaching her like, if you want this treat, lay down. And then mm -hmm. I'm trying to get her to balance things on her head. It's working okay. We'll see. How old is she? Mm, going on nine. Nine years. Yeah, yeah. And she's still learning Playful and wow. everything, yeah. Um, I also <laughs> play guitar and music. I used to have a band when I was in college and oh, high really? school. Oh, yeah. A funk band. A funk band. Yeah, called Mrs. Winslow's Soothing Syrup. Did you do your own, like, songs? Yeah. I was the singer, songwriter, guitar player. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sounded a lot like Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh -huh. Nirvana, like a mixture of that sort of stuff. You don't have any, like proof of that like uh oh i do you uh in fact i And showed a couple they, students go ahead are they in like internet no somewhere? no luckily <laughs> it was before the internet <laughs> yeah so so you can't find it you can't track me down Ooh. uh yeah but i have recordings and videos from when we were doing it i mean this is like 25 years ago now yeah um um one of the guys the drummer he actually plays for this pretty famous country band called midland Mm. I don't know. I don't know. They've been on, like, not Saturday Night Live, but um, Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was I talking about? Oh, free time. Play music. I like to do, like, Zen meditation, practicing that. Um, on Friday nights, I have this Zoom group. Um, we started it when the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. It was actually a kind of a philosophy club uh, of students and faculty and staff from a former college that I worked at. Mm -hmm. And we've just kept doing it. And so we still do it. So like tonight, I'm going to hang out with some friends and talk philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there are also <laughs> these uh, global networks that I'm a part of for like talking about philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, where people from Australia, India, mm, wherever, uh, Korea, we, we get on Zoom and we'll talk about an author or a topic for a day. Um, do that every couple months. Okay. Yeah, but does that answer your question? Yeah, a lot. So what do you do? Well, <laughs> this is okay, part of it. Okay, we talk about this. Yeah, um, I don't know. I like to play soccer from time to time. I saw that. Uh, yeah, with friends. Like, oh, okay. I played in the intramurals last year, but okay. I also play with my friends every weekend. Okay. Uh, things like that. Um, basically, my whole spare time has been mostly this Doing the last this. weeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what year are you? <clears throat> I'm a senior. I'm graduating in May. <laughs> You don't have much time. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so you're doing this instead of enjoying your last few moments with these people you might not ever see again? Well, if you put it like that, <laughs> it sounds bad, you know? <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I also thought that, and a lot of people have told me that, that I maybe I started this a little bit late mm. because I am... No, do it when you want to do it. It's fine. Yeah, There's never. It's never too late. No, and I think it's... It has came to the exactly exact moment that I wanted it to to come because um, I I did previous 
podcast before, yeah. but award winning. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but none like this, and and like the radio uh, program that I have also, mm-hmm. and it's kind of funny because I I have always seen myself more in the um, TV or visual area okay. of the media field. Yeah, yeah. But I'm doing more in the leisure of uh, audio only yeah. project, so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of funny, and uh, yeah, that's mostly what has been my my spare time. Um, you mentioned something about the Zen meditation. Can yeah. you explain a little bit more on how you do that or what is it? Because I've always so, heard so, about that. So Zen is a version of Buddhism. Okay. Um, and <coughs> I, I, growing up, uh, my family participated in Presbyterian church services. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we also did UCC, United Church of Christ. They're, they're kind of the most liberal branch of Christianity. Uh, and then the Presbyterian church was PCUSA, which is the liberal branch of Pres- Presbyterianism. Uh, but we were kind of a, you go to church to be a good person. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really like, if you do this, you're going to go to hell or God's watching you or whatever, right? It was yeah. like... You know, we're thinking about the Bible, thinking about the message, this sort of stuff. But it was never like, you're going to betray your religion if you do this or that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was always interested in diverse religious traditions. My dad um, worked as a translator for the army, uh, Arabic uh, translator. He was stationed in Egypt, uh, kind of monitoring what was going on in Israel and Jordan and all these countries, right, during the... Six-Day War, if you're familiar with that, this is when uh, a number of Arab nations attacked Israel, and it, the the war only lasted six days because Israel defended itself. Um, hmm. Anyway, uh, uh, so he was working in the military, so I knew a lot about Islam growing up. We had a Quran in the house my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but when I got to college, uh, I met people who were practicing Buddhism. And I was interested in that, and they invited me to go, like, go sit is what they call it. And you go to the Zendo, which is like a meditation center, or mm-hmm. it's not just a meditation center. A Zendo is part of, like, a temple complex where people are not just meditating. Meditating is a small part, or m- maybe some people don't meditate at all in Buddhism, right? So there's a shrine where you might, like, give offerings to the Buddha or other religious entities that you're kind of seeking help for. And then in the Zendo, you will like sit in meditation where you have to have a certain posture. You're trying to clear your mind. Um, um, My favorite version is coming out of Soto Zen. This is um, a Japanese version of Chan Buddhism. Okay. And Dogen is one of the great figures that talks about this version. Mm -hmm. And his claim is that, um, so what what often happens is that you'll sit there while you're meditating and you're like, am I doing this right? Am I supposed to to feel anything? (laughs) I feel like I'm doing this wrong. And Dogen says something like, just (coughs) sitting in the posture that the Buddha sat in is itself doing it right. Hmm. You thinking that you're doing it wrong or wondering if you're doing it right, the Buddha did that too. That's hmm. You are no different than the Buddha wondering if you're doing it right. 
So you really can't do it wrong. So he's trying to free you from the anxiety of like, am I doing this right? Shouldn't yeah. I? And so I, I just find that really mm, productive or, or liberating even because it frees you from the, the kind of self-doubt mm -hmm. that you might have. Um, so you try to cl like clear your, your mind, your thoughts when you're doing it? Well, but if you're trying to clear your mind or clear your thoughts, it doesn't work, right? <laughs> like, so, so it's, it's more about observing your thoughts, mm -hmm. observing yourself. Uh, for me, I pay more attention to my body than my thoughts. Uh, so, for instance, I, I don't know. Ugh, I, I'm, I'm worried. I don't know what you're going to use this for, right? Who's <laughs> going to listen to this? What they're going to do with it? So I'm not sure what to say. That's okay. So anyway. Sometimes when people drop LSD, uh -huh. they'll say, oh, the wall is moving or, oh, I see wolves faces coming out of the walls. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever seen a movie where people are hallucinating or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So similar things happen when you're meditating. You're sitting there staring at a certain spot. You're not supposed to close your eyes because you're prone to imagine and fantasize and daydream. So you keep your eyes open. You're focusing on a specific spot. But then you can actually pay attention to the blood going through your eyeball. Hmm. And so if you study eye movements to look at something, to actually see with precision, your eyes are constantly actually stuttering mm -hmm. so that you can get the outline of the information. Yeah. So when you're sitting there in meditation, staring at a certain spot, it looks like the floor starts becoming liquid. But really, it's because you're realizing, you, or if you realize this biologically, the, it, you're actually paying attention to the liquid that's in your eyeball. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so to realize that, like, yeah, the wall is moving, m m not the wall, but your vision of the wall is definitely moving all the time. It's just that, you know, when people are trippy, they want to ascribe it to the things, yeah. right? Oh, it's the wall that's changing shape. It's like, no, no, no. It's your, part of your perception. It's your eyeball that's really doing the moving. Yeah. At the end, probably everything we see is about perception, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you see the world different than, than, than I do, or every person looks the world differently. Yeah. <laughs> we all have different perspectives, right? Yeah. We all see things from our different angles, our backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. How will you say that this uh, meditation has helped you overall? Do you do it daily? Uh, I try to do it daily. I actually have an app. Right. <laughs> I have an app. Uh, it's not Zen related necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's called Insight Meditation or Insight oh. Timer or something like this. Mm -hmm. I just use it for the timer because it's convenient. Yeah. Uh, right. I'm not trying to convert other people or create a community <laughs> or something like that. Although, although I would be interested in just like having the Muslim student organization, the Catholic student organization, right, yeah. have a Buddhist student organization, mm -hmm. that would be great. And, and, you know, I'd be happy to be the advisor for that. Uh, but I just don't know if there's even any Buddhists on campus, yeah. right? Um, I think there's a couple. Uh, what are we talking about? About how it has helped you. Oh, I don't know if it's helped me. <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> I think about it that way, <laughs> right? Like, I don't. Right, like I don't practice piano because it helps me. I do it because I like it. Or maybe it's not even that I like it. It's just something I do. I don't really think about whether I like it or whether I'm getting something out of it. It's just something that's become part of my life, you know. How, how long have you been doing it? Oh, uh, 
I think I got more serious about it in graduate school, so I would say about 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. But not religiously. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll do it every day, and sometimes I'll go four months not doing it at all. Same thing with practicing guitar, practicing yeah. piano. Uh, you know, I might do it every day, and then some days I might go months without doing it. And usually it's predictable when I probably won't do it. April is the most hectic month. Have you ever noticed that as a student? Mm, yeah. Right? Like, there are so many events, so many things, like, especially for students that are graduating. Like, April is so full. I'm just happy to get a break so I don't practice as much piano or meditate as much on during April especially. Yeah. Yeah. And at each session, how, how long it is? Um, sometimes uh, half an hour, but usually just 10 minutes. Yeah. And during those sessions, you said that you have your eyes open, but looking to a spot, like fixed yeah, on yeah. a, st uh, a spot? So, so it's called shikantaza, called which means just sitting. Hmm. And the goal is to figure out how can you actually sit still for, I mean, even for five minutes. Well, think of how hard I that is, yeah, right? Yeah, I, like, I think I have to never. To just sit still because you're tempted to just relax and shut your eyes <laughs> and then you might fall asleep. Yeah. It's easy to doze off, right? So how do you actually successfully sit still? And then you're going to get a foot cramp, right? But what's mm. really interesting is just like ideas passing through your mind, you're just watching your thoughts. Same thing with pains in your body, right? Like mm -hmm. I'll get a foot cramp and I just watch it. And because the pain is just information. And then instead of trying to like stretch your foot out, you just watch it and then it goes away. You're like, weird, <laughs> weird. Uh, but yeah, uh, what was I saying? Five minutes? Why yeah, were we talking about this? 30 minutes. Yeah, right. and you, so just sitting and sometimes it'll be wall meditation where you face a wall. And so the spot, you're not trying to pick an interesting thing to look at. <laughs> you pick a blank spot and mm. just stare at the blank wall. And in a way, what you're trying to do is cultivate a mental state of my mind is like that wall. It's not blank. And then things are written on it. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with John Locke has this philosophy named, uh, he calls it tabula rasa that our minds mm -hmm. are blank slates and then we observe the world and information is imprinted on our minds that way. It's not about creating that, being open. Uh, it's more about creating a wall in that you can be separate from your emotions, your pain, your, your thoughts, and that separation is kind of like the real you is the wall and everything else is changing around you. Uh, so then maybe it would help me. I, I don't know if it has successfully helped me, but, you know, maybe it would help in a situation where maybe 20 years ago I would have got angry or mm -hmm. upset if some, right, like road rage, like somebody cut you off with the car and you're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> screw you. You know, uh, instead it's more like, uh, oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. More change has occurred. But that's, that's true, you know, that, We we usually don't just sit in one spot and yeah. do nothing, like just exist. So when I, w I worked at a f uh, previous college that I worked at, um, I was the advisor for the meditation group. And sometimes afterwards, especially when new people would come to try it out, I would say, congratulations, you just sat still for 15 minutes. You know how hard that is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I think uh, I have something to try tonight. <laughs> yeah, you can try <laughs> like, it. Uh, yeah, because I, I'm trying to remember, and I don't remember any time I decided to just sit. Maybe I, I lay down in the bed and yeah. fall asleep, you know. Exactly. But that's, <laughs> you know, just taking a nap, but not just existing and feeling my 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 the sensation of of my body the mm -hmm. the Your thoughts breath, I'm having yeah everything yeah and uh, and I had some serious uh, anxiety uh, issues a couple years ago mm -hmm. and what I usually did was like um, relaxation techni techniques but okay. uh, not involving body because what I was worried was about my body because yeah. uh, It was kind of a health anxiety issue yeah. uh, when uh, I, I started to feel, for example, my heart beating fast and I thought, oh, Am I'm I having, having a heart, heart attack. attack. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. So um, during that time I was looking for techniques, but it was hard for me to even focus on, on something because I think I always think about something and uh, I don't have like, that ability maybe or or whatever of for example doing that mm -hmm. i think i, I will have uh, struggles if i try exactly it. <laughs> yeah and i'm sure i had struggles when i first was trying it too yeah um what also though like i can relate to like panic attacks mm -hmm. and things like this and uh i use medication um not self-medic <coughs> right there's self-medication yeah. and there's actual yeah. you know, prescription medication right so like you know, like uh, depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. these things are can be crippling, right? Yeah. And so medication can help take off the edge of that. I don't think meditation has become dislodged from its religious context and sometimes is prescribed to people as medicinal or therapeutic mm -hmm. right so i mean you even asked like what benefits does it give you right yeah. because we're prone to think of meditation as something you do for your health or something like that right but but meditation in the sense of a a religious tradition right um there are articles on people who have tried meditation and had worse panic attacks from it yeah and in part it's because it's been like yoga too yoga becomes an exercise rather than recognizing that yoga has a religious uh history to it or a spiritual history to it and if you dislodge it or extract it from that context it loses its broader depth and meaning mm -hmm. that helps you make sense of it when you're doing it right and so you get asked like i do yoga for exercise it's like It's not an exercise. Yeah. If you want to just exercise, just do exercise. Why do you need to do yoga specifically? Yeah. Yeah, you have to m probably do something that fits for you. And for, for exercise, right? Yeah. But for religious traditions or religious practices, it's not about like shopping and finding what fits for you. It's yeah. well, I guess in a way, you're right, right? Like in a way, we do try out different things, and some things work for us mm -hmm. but working in this sense like working spiritually is different than working for health yeah because it's not clear that our spirituality and our health practices are connected with one <laughs> there there are plenty of religious things that aren't necessarily healthy mm -hmm. like for example oh like like 
like I was saying earlier, I can imagine people growing up in churches where they're constantly told that God is watching them, right? And it creates a guilty conscience um, and can lead to like toxic uh, religious fanaticism, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that comes off as hypocritical or inconsistent with their own religious teachings so mm-hmm. like love one another right is one of jesus's teachings and it's like we're gonna ban trans from athletics <laughs> you know like they're predators and if they get to come into the bathrooms with our with us or our mm-hmm. right it's like what are you doing is that really what you want to be living out because it seems like your religion is an excuse for you to be a bigot mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, and we know that things yeah. religion was used to legitimize slavery and stuff like that. Colonialism, we know that religions were used for that. So religions aren't intrinsically healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be just as toxic as anything else. Yeah, they can have good things, but yeah, in every good thing, there's also bad things. Yeah, it's more like we could talk about the religion itself versus human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Humans have the capacity to make anything a problem. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you can make a problem out of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's keep talking about yourself. Uh, but now I want to ask you, what did you study? What do you mean? What did you study in the university? Well, I, I tried to study as much as possible. The way that I thought about it was, so I didn't declare a major. Oh. Uh, well, okay. I went to college. Uh, <laughs> All right. So there's there's multiple layers here. Okay. So so I'm going to I'll go backwards. Okay. So 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 and I'm just talking about undergrad. Um one day I go into an advisor and I just say, "Here's the classes I've been taking. What can I get with this?" Mm-hmm. Because the way that I approach the course catalog is literally as a catalog and I'm just shopping for classes and I'm just like, "Ooh, I want to take that class. Ooh, Meteorology, awesome. I want to learn about clouds and weather. Yeah. Uh, ooh, basic reasoning and logic. I want to take that. That looks really interesting. Ooh, sociology of healthcare. I want to take that. You know, I would just flip through and take classes mm-hmm. that were awesome. Uh, and then one day I just go in and I say to somebody, what can I get with this? And they're like, well, you, you've accumulated a lot of religion classes, a lot of philosophy classes, a lot of psychology classes, a lot of English classes. So you should probably major and minor in that area, mm-hmm. uh, in one of those areas. And so I ended up uh, majoring in both religion and philosophy as two separate, so double major. And then I had a minor in English and a minor in psychology. Um, yeah, but I, but I studied lots of different things. In, in my undergrad, I really liked lens, uh, and I wish that I got educated in lens, but mm-hmm. um, my undergrad had a list of requirements that you had to do as your core requirements. Mm-hmm. So like here, you've got to do writing and math and speech, right, something mm-hmm. like that. So where I went, you had to do those, but you also had to do like basically one class in every discipline. So you've got to have a biology class. You've got to have a history class. Yeah. You've got to have a communications class, whatever. Yeah. Wow. Where, where did you study? Uh, oh, yeah. So this, that was the end. So <laughs> it took me seven years to get through undergrad. I studied at one, two, 
three different colleges. I went to a big state university for my first year uh, for a year and a half. And at the end of the at the end of the first semester, I was flunking all my classes Hmm. except for sociology of gender. Maybe I was passing my music class, too, but I was definitely failing physics. I was failing statistics. What else was I failing? And it's because I would go to the first day of class. Oh, yeah, okay. So, so here. I was taking a class on the humanities, mm-hmm. right? A humanities class. And so I show up the first day of class. And when I was an undergrad, we didn't have technology. So everything is paper. So the first day of class, I'm walking around campus. Think of how many emails you get per day. Now imagine that in paper form. And people are handing you all of these documents, right? And so I have a pile of papers for my first day of class, just this thick, right? And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm not, I don't have time to read all this. I don't know what's important. I don't know what's not important. I don't even know how to sift through this. Uh, And then, um, so that's the first day of class. And by picking up pieces of paper, I mean like as I'm walking to class, people are handing me things. It's not just the syllabus, okay? So then the second day of class comes around. I show up to class with the paper that I got from that class. And there's kids sitting next to me with their books open. And they're reading Homer's Odyssey or something, right? And they're 30 pages in. And I turn to them. I'm like, what do you – first of all, where did you get the books? Second of all, how did you know to read the 30 pages? And they're like, it's in the syllabus. And I go, what's a syllabus? <laughs> I didn't even know what a syllabus was. And they're like, that piece of paper that you got the first day has the information in it. And I'm like, oh, I thought that was the reading assignment for the first day. Because oh. it's this thick, yeah. right? And then, and, then, and then I clarified, I still didn't do the reading. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right? I still didn't do it. <laughs> I wasn't going to do it. Uh, And so then I'm like, well, it looks like I flunked that class and I just stopped going. Right? After the second day, I just stopped going. I'm just an 18-year-old. I don't know what's going on. Uh, The same thing with the physics class. I go to the first day and I'm like, I don't follow any of this. And I just stopped going because I didn't know what a syllabus was. And I didn't know you could withdraw from a course. I didn't know you could change your schedule. I was just told these are... When I was in high school, I couldn't choose what classes I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. These are just the classes that you take. So when I got to college, an advisor like handed me my schedule and just said, these are the classes you're signed up for. And I'm like, I guess these are the classes I have to take. <laughs> and if I don't do well in them, I guess I get an F. And never once did I think, go talk to your professor. Never once did a professor reach out to me to say, Hey, we're worried about you. You haven't showed up to class. Are you alive? Yeah. Like no one cared, right? So, so after the first semester, I'm flunking. And to be able to stay in school, I have to promise the school that I'm going to try. Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> all I have to do is sign this piece of paper and I still get to hang out with my friends. Okay. Yeah, I'll try. Whatever that means. Right? As long as you give me easy classes, I should be fine. Stop giving me hard classes. Uh, so then, so then I also fail again because it's the same issue. No, nobody's told me what a syllabus is. Nobody's told me that I could withdraw or drop add. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's the same problem. The problem wasn't fixed. And so I failed again. And the school said, you have to leave because we cannot continue to take your money and you continue to fail. I'm like, well, thanks for watching out for me afterwards. <laughs> right. Like. 
so so then I leave school for a little bit, about a semester. Uh, I find a community college, go there for a year. Then I transfer to a small liberal arts undergrad just like this, oh. University of Dubuque, <coughs> uh, which is a lot like um, University of the Ozarks. Mm -hmm. And it just, and from there on out, it was awesome. Because then I had learned what a syllabus was. Yeah. You know, I learned how to navigate college. Uh, but then, you know, that's two years. And then it did take me seven years. So there's another year in there somewhere. But it <laughs> that did you don't know about? <laughs> it, took me, it took me seven years to get through undergrad. Wow. Um, transferring and failing. Because, I mean, none of the courses that I failed would count at my new institution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, wa it was going to be bad if they counted. Yeah, exactly. As long as Yeah. Or whatever, but it's funny how you say I that. I got kicked out of school with a .68 Ooh, wow. grade point average. That's so the, uh, so that I have no sympathy for students that are <laughs> grade grubbers. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Do you know what a they grade are seek is? for They're a like, good GPA. You gave me an A minus. I think I deserve an A. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, why do you? I think everybody should fail a class just to know what it's like. And that it's not the end of the world, right? Because everybody's so like, but my GPA is going to determine my future. No, yeah. you're going to determine your future. Yeah, that's true. You know, I I, I fail a class. <laughs> This yeah, is something good. that I haven't good. told anybody probably. Well, now it's on but, air. Yeah. <laughs> but what class? Uh, college algebra. Algebra. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And well, it's not just that it's hard. It's like if you're not prepared for it, if the teaching style doesn't match your learning style, yeah. right? There's lots of. I think that's to what it. happened to me during my first semester because it was the first semester I came here, and uh, there was this professor um, that was giving that that class. He's not here anymore, but I didn't like his teaching style probably, and. Uh, the methods he used the platform he used all of it was really bad for me and mm -hmm. i had the chance to withdraw the class but yeah. I, i was like no i'm gonna pass this class yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i failed it oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> and next semester i took the class with doctors uh body smith mm -hmm. and i passed it with a so oh, nice. basically i that's weird yeah i had to most of the classes that i flunked the best <laughs> i could pull off was a c the second oh time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Probably the That's good. the COVID semester helped me too. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I I I I failed that class and uh, it doesn't feel good at the beginning, but I mean it's been three years from from that moment yeah, and how often do you even think about it yeah and, and like i brought it up and it made you think of it but <laughs> yeah. you could have gone all day and not even thought about it yeah and it really was good for me because next semester i was able to bring it to an a right <laughs> with, and, and it kind of it kind of changes your perspective on discipline mm -hmm. right and realizing that if i want a grade i have to work for it and for me i guess i just I always accepted professors' assessment of my work as feedback for improvement. Mm -hmm. So whether I got an F or whether I got an A, it's information that that is giving me feedback for the quality of my work. Um, whereas my experience with some students is that they want to argue about like mm -hmm. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. There was one student that said you should grade on effort. 
I what? tried very hard and I should get a good grade oh, because man. I tried. And I'm like, <laughs> but the grade is on your, the quality of your product. Yeah. Not, not your effort. It would be interesting to have a, a have a curriculum based on effort. That would be interesting. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, my class is not based on effort. <laughs> They're based on quality. Right. Of right. The But I care. I care. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe y because you don't really grasp what's going on, you're, you are putting in a lot of effort, but it's wasted effort because it's not it, – you're, you're not managing how to use your effort um, productively, mm -hmm. right? You're doing a lot of wasted work. Um, so trying to figure out how to navigate that. Um, yeah. yeah. What do you do when a student comes to your office and starts telling you, "Hey, I, I, I think I deserve a well, well, a I, I'll look because because yeah. I'm first of all, there's lots of human error, lots mm -hmm. of room for human error. Yeah. Uh, students will so, for instance, even plugging in your assignments into Canvas. Uh, I think some students pointed out that I had an assignment, two assignments scheduled for the same day. Okay. And that's just human error. And so I had to go in and change it. So it's possible that I was wrong on an assignment, right? So a student points something out. I think the risk that students don't really understand is if they ask me to look closer, because I'm usually a generous grader. <laughs> um, so I don't think students realize the risk of having me look closer at their work. You can downgrade even more. Exactly, than right? right? Like that's the risk you're taking. Like and have you, you done that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and now what? I found more errors. And what do they say when you They're find? upset, <laughs> right? But to me, it's like, why are you upset? We found spaces where you can improve. Yeah. All the more, right? This means that you're learning. This is not a thing to be upset about. Yeah. That means that you have more room to learn, which is exactly why we're here. And maybe the student had a B and now he, he or she has a F. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think it's ever been that severe. It might go from a B to like a C plus at worst. Oh, okay. yeah. Like I don't miss that many problems. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but there has been times where you plug in a student's grade, mm -hmm. but you put it in the wrong student's grade, right? Oh. I think I may have even done it in your class. I like gave the wrong student the wrong grade and then it's like, They're like, how did I get a D? I was doing an A the whole <laughs> semester. I'm like, oh, human error. Well, yeah. easy to fix. And you know about about that? I remember that uh, in the class I took with you, um, you always put a self-assessment uh, sheet yeah, of paper. Yeah, yeah. And we had to fill that out with the grade that we thought that we yeah, deserve yeah. and everything. Yeah. Is that something that you have always done? No, it's something that I started doing because I'm trying to figure out how to get students to be more reflexive about mm -hmm. their learning process, right? Yeah. The problem, so, so it's something that I've added as I've gone. Um, so how to improve the paper assignments, how to improve students' reflexivity about their own learning, or in education, they call it metacognition, mm -hmm. okay? Like thinking about your thinking or thinking about your writing, writing about your writing, Okay. And so I add that, but it's also about trying to figure out how to encourage responsibility too. Not account, right? There's stuff all about accountability or whatever. But what I mean is, can a student assess their quality of their work objectively? Mm -hmm. 
And the problem is that students don't. And so I've got to figure out how to use this more productively because what's happening is that everyone puts A, I deserve an A. No, or something you'd like be that. shocked. Uh, students who clearly have a C or lower give themselves A's, and students who clearly have an A give themselves C's. Oh. Yeah. Uh, And, but in both cases, it's, it reflects a, a lack of ability to be objective about your work, right? Yeah. And, and it's not objectivity in the sense of like scientific objectivity. It's ob objectivity in the sense of honesty with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not about being honest with me. It's about being honest with yourself about your own work, right? And so, um, so for instance, one of my requirements is you've got to have two research resources to even be, cons to even have... Uh, two external research resources from outside mm -hmm. the class for you to even have the possibility of getting an A paper, right? So there are students who will say they deserve an A paper. It literally has a check mark that <laughs> says, I included two external research resources. I read the paper. There's no external research resources, okay. right? And I'm like, what do, you, what do you guys think is happening right now when I see that? Probably they think that you only see the self-assessment. Oh, right. you think I'm not reading the paper? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is happening? Like, I literally can see your paper doesn't have the things that you're saying your paper has. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't remember that how I, I self-assess in the <laughs> papers. But it's not all students, yeah, right? This I probably give, gave myself a good grade. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like if, I'm, if I have the opportunity to grade myself, I'm going to give myself an A. Yeah. But that shows how much students have dislodged grades from learning mm -hmm. because I'm not even going to be honest with myself about the quality of my learning because it's more important that I have the A. Yeah. And it's like, for what? You want an A, like, just for doing bad work? Mm -hmm. And then what are you going to do with that? Yeah, because outside of the academic area if you don't do a good job they're not going to right. give you an f they're right. going well an f but a fired maybe Exa that's <laughs> what know? i try to say in class is like <laughs> yeah. don't think of an f in my class as failure think of an f in my class as fired yeah right this is what it means <laughs> yeah you're not you're not showing up you get fired <laughs> and you know uh probably at least in my case I'm trying to think what, what I was thinking when I self-assessed yeah. for your papers or, or things like that. And I think one of my fears was, what if I, get, I give myself a C or something like that? He will put a C in my paper you too. You thought so. that I would just do that? <laughs> but not because you didn't check the paper, but because you, maybe you, were, you will be, be suggested yeah, to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't get swayed by that. Right. Yeah. For me, I'm really looking at can this student objectively and honestly reflect on the quality of their work? Mm -hmm. And these are some check marks to try to do that. Yeah. Uh, did you have a good GPA at the end of your uh, undergrad? I don't career? remember. You don't remember? Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> how, how, how would I? This is 25 years ago. Yeah. Or what, what year did I graduate? 2002? Mm -hmm. So 21 years ago, right? Um, did I have a good GPA? Or at least that you can, like, maybe measure uh, um, on base on how well you were doing during that time? 
I applied to graduate school thinking that I was moderate. Mm-hmm. I had a moderate chance of getting in, but I never thought, oh, I'm going to get scholarships based on my grades. Yeah. Um, I don't know, 2.9, 3.2. Oh, that's not a bad UPA. Something like that, somewhere in there. And um, what but did I'm you? I'm literally just guessing. Yeah, but I have no idea. I would have yeah. to look at my transcripts. What did you study for your postgraduate study? Graduate school. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so I applied to four different philosophy programs. Uh, <coughs> I wanted to get a. For me, it wasn't about becoming a professor. For mm-hmm. me, it was. I love talking philosophy and I want to continue doing that. Mm-hmm. And the best way to guarantee that I'm going to be able to continue that is to hang out with philosophers, right? Yeah. Where do philosophers go? They go to philosophy PhD programs. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll go there. So I applied to four different ones, the University of Memphis, Purdue University. And, and those two I really wanted to get into because they covered a breadth of philosophy. They're, they're, they identified themselves as pluralistic, looking at multiple traditions, mm-hmm. multiple communities of philosophy. Uh, where And then I applied to two other schools, Notre Dame, which was like the Hail Mary, because uh, I wanted to do philosophy of religion, thinking I wanted to be more in like Christian theology type philosophy. Yeah. And that's a good place to do that. And then I did the University of Iowa because I was from Iowa and they're in my backyard. So they were kind of my safety school. Yeah. So I get rejected from Notre Dame and Iowa. Oh. And I was thinking Iowa was my safety school, right? Yeah. So then I'm like, well, then I'm not going to get into these others. So I better just think of an alternative what am i going to do if i can't go to graduate school Mm -hmm. uh and for me i was like i think i'm going to volunteer for the military and and be a medic or something like that so i go to the recruiter's office on a saturday morning and i'm talking with them and i'm filling out the paperwork and i get home and i have two letters in the mail from memphis and from purdue and memphis accepted me provisionally into their master's program so masters some people get a masters and then their phd i was going straight for a phd so you can do that yeah you can uh usually what people will do if they go straight for their phd is you can fill out a form halfway through and say i've done the equivalent of a masters you still have to do a masters level of work in Mm -hmm. your phd program but um I just never filled out the paperwork. <laughs> so so I just got a PhD. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think I think by the time that I was like, oh, I should fill out the form, I was already de- defending my dissertation. I'm just like, well, whatever. I have yeah. my PhD and that's the that's the thing that counts. So yeah. um the only way that it would actually look good, look good, quote unquote, is if you get your masters at a different program mm-hmm. than you get your PhD. Because yeah. then it shows that you have uh, broader experience. But most people just get their master's at the same place they're getting their PhD. A lot of people, not most. Okay. What am I talking about? So you, you oh, were saying so about I go, the letters. So, so I got into Memphis and Purdue. Purdue uh, accepted me into their PhD program in mm-hmm. philosophy, which was cool because they had somebody really great doing Kierkegaard, Martin Matustic. And I got to study with Patricia Kurd, who does ancient Greek philosophy. So I studied Aristotle with her. Uh, I got to study Sartre with this great philosopher named Bill McBride. 
So then, and, and that's really probably how you should look for graduate school. Like, who, who do you want to work with? And can you find more than just one person in that mm. same department? So I, luckily, I stumbled onto this guy, uh, David, David E. Clem, who works at the University of Iowa, but in religious studies rather than in philosophy. Mm. So I transfer all of my credits from philosophy at Purdue, add them to what I learn about philosophy and religious studies at this religious studies program, but the whole time I'm studying basically philosophy of religion with a specialization in philosophical hermeneutics is what it's called. And it's the theory of interpretation. Okay. Yeah. Um, also to talk about your previous jobs uh, before coming to Ozarks, what, what other jobs did you have before coming here? Uh, I used to... I, I, I guess I don't know how far back you're asking. So I, <laughs> as far I was, as you want. <laughs> look, when I was 12, I worked for my grandfather who contracted with the, the city to, and it was a small town, mm -hmm. um, to, to tend the cemetery. So I worked in the cemetery from age 12 to age 24. Uh, every summer I would go home, help my grandfather, or after he died, my dad took it over. And I would work in the cemetery, just weed eating around every tombstone, mm -hmm. right? Like whatever. Mm -hmm. It was mainly groundskeeping, but then uh, some other stuff. Um, I also worked in cornfields. Uh, it was called detasseling, roguing, where you go around, cut out weeds. You detassel by taking the pollen parts off of certain corn stalks because you're creating hybrids. Yeah. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, uh, and so, I mean, I would be out in the cornfields like eight-hour days, mm -hmm. I would say half the summer. Wow. Um, and then I would come home and then work in the cemetery. And then at, in the evening, I would play baseball for mm -hmm. the high school baseball team. Um, so what – but the thing I, – I really liked working in the cornfields. Um, but one of the things, right, that's where I got exposed to immigration issues because often the foremen or bosses would threaten us and say, if you don't do a better job, we're going to fire you all and recruit a whole bunch of immigrants who are going to do this for free or whatever, <laughs> right? It's just like, could you guys be any more racist? Yeah. You know? Um, so um, then um, I delivered pizza for Domino's and – or maybe it was Pizza Hut. And I had a manager that was racist and called me a Jew boy. What? Yeah, yeah, right? Why Why he was? I don't know, because apparently you call people that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, wow. Then I also worked as a tutor. Uh, mm -hmm. My favorite job was working as a tutor, and I got to hang out with all these Colombians. All right. Because they needed tutoring in English, and my job was just to talk with them in English. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> right? Like, really and just talk like about regular anything. conversation? Exactly, because oh, they're great. working on conversational English. Wow. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, let's see. Then while I'm in graduate school, uh, my main job was being a teaching assistant. So there's actually a movie about one of the – do you do you know, like, um, Marvel um, Infinity Wars and the Endgame? Yeah. Right, so this is the end of the Avengers. That's produced and not produced, directed by the Russo brothers. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar yeah. with them? So they they uh, uh, ascribe their kind of 
ways of thinking about the world and imagining uh, meaningful worlds, mm -hmm. they ascribe their inspiration to this professor that I worked with named Jay Holstein. Oh. He, and there's a movie about him titled The Professor. Oh, really? And I'm one of the main characters in the movie because I was the head TA assistant during the semester that they made the movie. Oh, wow. So if you Google, um, if you Google um, The Professor uh -huh. movie, Jay Holstein, or something like this, okay? It should come up, like, and it'll be, fifth, it'll be like the first five minutes of the movie where we're in a lecture hall of 700 students, and he's lecturing at them. And I come up because he's like, if you have any issues, you got to talk with the main TA. This is my uh, student or TA, uh, Nathan Eric Dickman. Uh -huh. And I have hair. <laughs> I have hair, like a whole head of hair. <laughs> and, oh, well, maybe I, I can ask you. Sometimes. Yeah, I think I saw something like that in, in the class I, I took with you. But may I ask what happened to your hair? <laughs> oh, I just... <laughs> Well, my, my, my grandpa on my mother's side uh -huh. was bald, and so I kind mm -hmm. of expected that I was going to go bald. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm bald, but I started shaving my head in high school. What I would do is I would shave my head, let it grow to my shoulders, shave my head, let it grow to my shoulders, shave my head. Okay. Yeah. But now, now I just shave my head. You, you shave your head. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, oh, I would let it grow out, but I'm just like, ah, it's whatever. This yeah. is fine for now. Why? Well, I... I How, how the professor by who do you say it's called the movie? J Holstein, J A Y Holstein, okay. H O L S T E I N. Yeah, for so that I can look it and yeah. the people can look yeah. it up too. So, um, well, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, what are other jobs like before Ozarks did you have? Oh, oh uh, so so it's hard. To find, I don't know if you're familiar with the labor market for higher education, but there are a surplus of professors and a limited number of professor jobs. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to find professor jobs, and it's hard to find professor jobs that you're willing to take. Like, I mean, some people might not want to work at Ozarks because they can't imagine themselves living in Arkansas, hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that's a real issue. Uh, what I like about this school is that it can support people who are kind of like that. Um, um, but anyway, so so on my first time on the job market trying to become a professor. And, and like I said, I didn't go to graduate school to become a professor. Yeah. I went to graduate school because I love these things. And I thought, well, I'll give it a try. I mean, I can apply to be a professor. I'm, I don't think I'm that bad of a professor. Yeah. Maybe somebody would hire me. So, so I try. I, I have a few interviews. Um, but at that time, I felt so much pressure to be what I thought they wanted instead of being myself. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, like, you know, I have this shaved head. It's kind of intimidating sometimes, <laughs> right? Or I have buttons that say things like, seeking asylum is not a crime. Right. Where I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, um, socially social justice oriented. Yeah. Right. And so I tried to tone that stuff down. I grew my facial hair just a little bit. I like grew my hair just a little bit. Right. And I show up and I'm wearing like clothes that I'm not comfortable in because I want them. I, I want them to think that I'm neutral. Mm -hmm. Right. And they end up not hiring me. 
uh, and I get hired. I, I find, uh, luckily, I find a couple adjuncting jobs at schools like two or three hours away from each other. So on Tuesday, Thursdays, I work at one university, and then mm. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I work at a totally different university like three hours away. Oh, wow. And I lived in the town where it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so I'm driving the three-hour route for, th- and that's how I could piece together basically a full-time mm. income, uh, because you get between two thousand to three thousand dollars per class, and I taught five classes for two semesters like that. And um, during that time, I'm applying to other jobs, and I got a job at this small college like this, but mm-hmm. it's Methodist affiliated, called Young Harris College. And that's where I worked for about 10 years okay. when I saw that the University of Ozarks, uh, I decided that I wanted to leave that school, even though I had already earned tenure, which is basically like the promotion you can get as a professor that adds a little bit of job security, but anymore, there is no such thing as job mm-hmm. security. Yeah. Um, because this is partly what happened. I was the chair of the department and all this stuff, right? Um, but I don't know what it was. Some people say it was retaliation. Who knows, right? Retaliation is a technical term, so I want to be careful, right? I'm not... Yeah. People suggested it might have been, but this is one way to get rid of a tenured faculty member is to cancel the programs that they serve at the institution. So if you have a philosophy professor that you want to get rid of, as an admit, let's say the president didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, Dickman's been promoted to tenure, so I can't just fire him and, and because he hasn't done something illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just, I don't like him. I don't want to work with him, right? Yeah. So one way that you could do that is to go, well, let's shut down the philosophy program. And since there's no philosophy, there's no need to have a philosophy professor. Hmm. So and that's one of the loopholes that you can But find. they can reinstate the philosophy program Later after? on if they want to, yeah. Wow. <laughs> right, not within two years. Mm. Like oh, okay. Right, like if you do it right away, then it's clear that you did it yeah. for nefarious reasons. Mm. But here, mm-hmm. uh, here, it was unclear what the situation was. Eventually, they did cut the program that I was relevant to, but that was after I got hired by Ozarks. Oh. Um, meaning that I'm still working there, mm-hmm. but at that point, I've got my parachute, luckily. And I feel grateful to be here because there, I, I got to a point where I didn't want to go to work every day, mm-hmm. whereas here, I want to go to work every day. I, I really like my colleagues. I really like the administrators. That, that is my bosses, right? Yeah. I really love the students, right? This is a great place to be. Yeah, I, I always see that you are an advocate for a lot of social issues that are happening every day in the world. So I had this curiosity. Do you have or have you had any issue with people because of your advocacy to all those things? Uh, honestly, no. And that might be my privilege as a white man, right? Uh, I don't get a lot of pushback from mm-hmm. people. Uh, maybe it's because of my privilege, um, but um, so I I, re- I wear a mask all the time because mm-hmm. I think um, we still live under conditions where COVID, COVID among other diseases, are life threatening to a especially disabled and autoimmune or immune deficient 
people, right? Mm-hmm. Elderly, infants, right? Like there are people that are still at risk. Yeah. And so for me, wearing a mask is a social justice stance. Um, it's, it's, I had a student say like, why are you so afraid? And I'm like, what I'm afraid of is even if I stay healthy, I could mm-hmm. be a carrier and I could infect somebody else. Yeah. And I would hate that. And the least I can do is wear a mask. Um, but I was walking one day because I wear it outside too. I think students even make fun of me for wearing it outside. <laughs> I'm like, look, you never know when you're going to stop and talk with somebody within two feet. Yeah. So whatever. It's not that hard to wear it. Um, and I will remember walking in town and somebody stops their car and pulls up to me and says, oh, you just bought into the Biden whatever the biden blue pill or whatever and i'm like what what because <laughs> because i'm not i prefer biden to trump but i am not a biden fanatic <laughs> by any means yeah right like i am very disappointed with biden but i despise trump so mm-hmm. i mean so even right but even but what i'm getting him, at is uh-huh. this person is antagonizing me right and i'm and i'm going i'm i I barely pay attention to Biden. Yeah. Uh, 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 and they said, well, why are you wearing your mask? And I'm like, you are literally one foot from me now. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I had it on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, I would hate to get somebody sick. What more do you want from me? Yeah. I'm just minding my own business, walking my dog. What are you doing? <laughs> Did you have that consciousness of, for example, being aware of, how a person can affect another person's life uh, if they have like this kind of comorbidities uh, before the pandemic or did you start wearing your mask? Oh, after? this was this was after, right? Uh, way more intense, right? Mm-hmm. And, and COVID is especially dangerous yeah. um, compared to other uh, airborne or, or aerosol diseases, right? Um, but So it wasn't about wearing a mask before. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was more about, like, being lucid to issues of disabilities, so accessibility, uh, issues of sexism, racism, these sorts of things. Any marginalized community, what's the least we can do to try to make somebody feel welcome, Mm -hmm. cared for, recognized, heard, right? What's the least you can do? Make room, get out of the way. Hmm. Yeah. Um, also, um, I'm interested in knowing because I, I honestly have heard that you have written a lot of books, but I am not familiar with it. So uh, how many books have you published? Okay, so, so I've, I've published my own books, two, two, and I'm on my third. It'll come out in October. So that means the book is done. Everybody has approved it, and now what we're doing is just proofing the pages, making okay. sure the pages are ready for print. Mm-hmm. Um, so the contract, all that stuff, it's done. So if you go to my like Amazon author page, you'll see the book there. We don't have a cover for it yet. We're still working on that. Okay. Um, I asked if I could have a friend of mine make the cover, but the the publisher prefers to work with their own artist right? oh, okay. because the worry is that they're going to have to give royalty to the artist mm. right so anyway yeah. um what was i saying oh three books but what happens often is that 
you're part of a team of people, so you might contribute a chapter in a book. So I've contributed, I don't know, let's say 10 chapters to 10 different books. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but those I wouldn't call my books, right? There's an editor and I call it their book that they asked me to contribute to. Um, um, And then, so, and then there's articles where Mm -hmm. you, you write an article, you submit it, the journal reviews it, they send it out to other people like me, they'll review it, give you feedback. Sometimes they'll reject it. I've had, I've had, I've had more rejections than I've had acceptances, but I've published, I don't know, 20 articles by now. I don't, I don't even, Hmm. right. I mean, we could count. I have them all listed on my resume or CV is what you call it as an Mm -hmm. academic. Um, There's probably 20. Uh, on a diverse, for me, I love thinking about lots of different topics too. And what I'm really proud of is the diversity of contributions that I've made from yeah. from cosmology and physics to uh, healthcare and and immigration issues with healthcare to uh, bread and butter philosophy of religion topics to interpretation theory that might be relevant for like English classes, mm-hmm. right? So this whole gamut. Um, um, I'm not that picky with what I research. I just get inspired to research things. And sometimes you meet someone, right? So yeah. uh, I met someone that was doing nursing, and we, they invited me to work on research with them, and luckily I got to contribute to that. It, w- it was just coincidental, yeah. right? Um, so uh, for me, research opportunities are everywhere at any moment. Uh, for me, one thing that I would really like to study is interviewing conversations. Mm-hmm. So like what you're doing right now, we could research how yeah. interviews work and successful, unsuccessful ones and what what kind of criteria help them be successful, those yeah. sorts of things. I'm really interested in that. Uh, what are the names of the two books yeah, that you have written? Uh, the <laughs> so, so the hard part about working with publishers is that they get to have a voice too, right? It's not self-published where mm-hmm. I just get to do what I want. I've got to mm-hmm. work with them. Uh, so the first book, m- my idea, and I even, so I wrote an article mm-hmm. on the phenomena of questioning. Like, what are questions? WTF. When you think mm-hmm. about it, it's it's like, where did que- why is it that we ask questions? What do you, where did this even come from? Um, so, so my original title for this article was The End of Questions in an Age of Answers. And I thought, oh, I got this great title. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to save it and use it as the title for my book mm-hmm. on this similar topic because I'm using my articles to build toward a book mm-hmm. in this case. And so I submitted to the publisher and they're like, look, we really like your title, but we think that because we want the book to be more of a textbook for a critical thinking or logic class, you need your title to be consistent with those sorts of titles. Mm -hmm. So now the title is using questions to think. That's the title. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm fine. If, if that's, if I wasn't, I'm easy to push around, I guess, when it comes to getting something published. Because to me, it's like, well, if that if that makes it more likely that you'll publish my book, I would rather have you publish my book than fight this. Yeah. So, but so they don't they don't make you change the content of your book. Well, or? to some degree, right? Uh, so, for instance, I wrote the book, and then they're like, if 
because we want to market it to critical thinking instructors, mm -hmm. we want you to add a like instructor manual on how to use your book and suggestions on how to teach it. So, uh, you know, that was part of what they asked me mm. to add to it. The other book title. <laughs> the, the other book title is. I wanted to title it "Can God Ask a Genuine Question?" <laughs> but my, my book is more complicated because I do close studies of divine entities from religious texts, mm -hmm. but I also look at Buddhas and Zen masters. Okay. So you can't really call them gods. And so the editors and publisher, they were just like, this, this title won't work because it's misleading mm -hmm. to potential readers. So they, they, they also said it's part of a series and they said, we want the word philosophy in the title. So now the title is Philosophical Hermeneutics, which is my specialization, mm -hmm. and the role of questions in religion. Now, both books have subtitles where you put, not subtitles, it is subtitle, where you put a colon and then mm. you have another title. Uh, so using questions to think, how to develop skills in critical understanding. Philosophical hermeneutics and the roles of questions in religion, bringing the discourse of gods and Buddhas down to earth. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, where can we find those books? There's for in the library. In the library and for the general Amazon, There, I mean, I, I would encourage going to directly to the publisher, which is Bloomsbury. Bloomsbury. Yeah, okay. that's, that's the publisher. But um, I would encourage going straight there. But you can always get it through Amazon or Barnes so are, Noble. Are they more like uh, focused on academical, for academical use or ad academic use? Or are they like... My ideal is that they could be approachable by anybody. Mm -hmm. So, right, I have specific people in mind when I write because I, I want to make sure that it's readable by these specific people. Yeah. So, so like the using questions to think, I mm -hmm. want to use it in my critical thinking class, but I also want people who aren't in my th critical thinking class to use it. Yeah. So, so I wrote it, what I would hope would be accessible to many people even if they're not in academics, right? But the problem is that there's this kind of, there's this anti-intellectual attitude in our culture where it's like, oh, it's above my head. Like even my mom would say stuff like that. Like, oh, it's above my head. And I'm like, I'm literally researching things that, so she was, she has her master's in uh, like elementary literacy. And some of what I research is connected with mm -hmm. reading literacy for kids. And so even her with a master's, she's saying like, oh, your stuff is too hard. It's above my head or whatever. Part of that is I think she's not trying. Hmm. But part of it is also maybe some of the terms I use are inaccessible to yeah. people who aren't in academics. But my hope would be that anybody could pick it up and gain something from it. Yeah, and from both of them, really. How have those uh, books been received by the general public? What well, have you well, heard? Well, I'm getting royalties, so apparently I'm making <laughs> a little. But so, so the contract is what I get five percent of all book sales mm. for paperbacks and digital copies. But then the hardbacks that usually libraries get, mm -hmm. those are more expensive, and I only get two percent of those. Oh. <laughs> so, so uh, as you can imagine, right? If you sell a hundred books. 20 bucks each, 5% of all that. So let's say I've sold 100 books, I'll get $50. Yeah. 
so I've sold maybe 200 of the using questions to think. It's two years old now. Mm -hmm. And then the philosophical hermeneutics and roles of questions in religion. Um, I think I just got 50 bucks too, but they only sold 100 copies. Okay. Something like that. How hard is to get a book published? It depends on what kind of book you want to write. What's the quality of it and all that, right? Yeah. Like if you want to just throw something on the internet, you can you can write a book and say you published a book, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, so, so f for me, I think, I never cared whether I published a book or not. Mm -hmm. I had to write a dissertation as part of my licensure to, to be able to be a PhD, right? You have to do a dissertation. Yeah. Um, so that's technically a book, but it's not. I didn't write it as a book. I wrote it as a information resource, kind of like an encyclopedia almost. Mm -hmm. um, so I never really thought like, ooh, I want to make this dissertation into a book. Although a lot of both of my books are drawing on research I did for my dissertation. At one point, I just realized, I think it was 2017, after I had written a few articles, and mm -hmm. I usually write articles because I want to look into something specific. Um, like friendship, what is that? Or maybe there's some maybe there's some similarity between Asian philosophers and German philosophers on like what is meaning or something like this, okay? And then after a while, I just thought, well, you know what? I think this topic kind of requires a book length treatment. Mm -hmm. And it dawned on me like how I wanted to organize it and all this stuff. And at that moment, I just wrote the book. I didn't even think about whether it would get published or not. I just wrote a book. And then I thought, well, I might as well try to get it published. And I loved this one publisher, Continuum, but they've been bought by Bloomsbury now. Okay. They, they publish a lot of the books that I love to read, philosophy books that I love to read. And so I thought, well, they're the ideal that I'd love to publish with. Just mm -hmm. I'll, I'll send it to them and see if they can always say no, but I'm not going to say no for them. Yeah. And so I sent it and they're like, oh, yeah, we're really interested in that. And I said, well, hey, I'm actually thinking about a second book. Would you be interested in that, too? And they're like, hell, yeah, give <laughs> us a shot. And so so I w once I start working on that second book, too, they're like, this looks good. Let's do it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the third one, too, it just luckily. So. So for the third yeah. one, I get an email from a series editor just saying somebody has written a book on evil, the concept of evil in the study of philosophy and religion. Would you be willing to read the book as a reviewer to give feedback to see mm -hmm. whether we actually want to publish it or not or ways the author could improve it before we publish it? So I agree and I read it and I'm like, here's my feedback. And the editor was like, oh, thank you so much. And if you have an idea that you'd like to pitch, please do. And I'm like... Here's an idea. Would you be interested in that? Hmm. Sure. And then it turned into a book. <laughs> When you publish <laughs> a book, uh, a book, uh, do you have to invest from your own money, or they are in charge of everything? What do you like? Mean? Uh, do you get any charge, or do you have to invest from your own funds to okay, make so up any part of the process? So, like, this is the issue with art, right? The yeah. art on the cover. Um, I was going to pay my friend 
for the artwork mm-hmm. and then have it be put on the book and that would be me commissioning it right mm-hmm. um but then i don't think about the broader issue of every time that the book gets printed mm-hmm. that's another instance of that artwork being out in the world yeah. so that artist should get credit for it right not just credit but money um and so that's that's where they're cutting that cost to me mm-hmm. by hiring an in-house artist um but one thing that is hard for me is to create an index have you ever looked at an index in the back of a book yeah right uh i'm not really sure how to do that well i mean i could probably learn to do it but it usually costs like a hundred to two hundred dollars to hire somebody to do it for you so that was on me mm-hmm. but sometimes you can take that out of how much you make on sales of the book rather than you just paying for that. But besides that, I mean, I pay for my laptop that I take yeah. to the coffee shop and work on, but I can use the school. The school issued me a laptop too as part of my work. Mm-hmm. So I use that one too. So I guess I'm, I'm not really sure what else you're asking me about what it costs to me. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking about maybe the publisher asking you for funding your own book and they they already have like I don't know how, how to say this, the image, the marketing to publish it, but you have to put the funds. I, I, that's I'm kind sure of that the that help. I'm sure that that happens with some people. Mm-hmm. And there, okay, so there's, there's a few, so academic publishing is quite different than personal, right? Like, or, or novels yeah. or things like that. So, so for me, the, the businesses that I work with to try to publish books or articles, they usually front the cost because they get, right, like think, I told you, I only get 5% yeah. of each sale, meaning they're, they're racking up payments. Yeah. They're making way more money than I am off my books, which might be exploitative. Don't tell them that I said that. <laughs> Wait, this is all, this, oh. <laughs> I, I, what are you going to use this for? People are going to Oh my god! That, and, yeah. and I already talked about Trump. Like, uh, we're yeah. going to have to edit all this out. Anyway, anyway. So, so what happened? Um, what were we talking about? Oh, profit books. Profit. Like, I'm not making that much money mm-hmm. off of the books, right? And I didn't do it for the money, right? I'm not. I'm not here to be a. F- it would be nice to be a world famous author, but I'm not. I'm just some podunk guy in the middle of Arkansas. What? I want to help, but I don't know how much I'm going to impact the world. Oh, yeah. I would love to, but I'm trying my best. But what are, what are we talking about? Making money. Oh, so, so, but there are some places, there's this thing called open access. So have you ever used JSTOR or EBSCOhost looking mm-hmm. at articles, right? Yeah. Some of those articles, the library has to pay a lot of money to be able to access them. The school has to pay lots of money for us to be able to access mm-hmm. them because the journals are profiting off of us reading these articles. So there's this strategy that some people are using called open access where mm-hmm. you can access the article for free even if you don't belong to a school or whatever. But to be able to afford open access... Like if, for some journals, if I want to publish an article, open access, where anybody can read it, I have to, I have to pay $3,000. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, well. 3,000. I don't have 3,000 sitting around to make sure that everybody in the world can read this article, which mm -hmm. is what I would prefer. Yeah. Because I think accessibility matters. It's a social justice issue. So I'm really interested in open access. And there's, there's certain journals where they've tried to do a system where you work as a reviewer for them and then you don't have to pay $3,000. You're making $3,000 by working for the mm -hmm. journal. So that's an experiment to try. But then some people think that that's predatory because you're yeah. using people's free labor, right? So it's hard to know how to do it right. There, there's not clearly a right answer so far. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in open access, but open access can have problems too, um, where you, you end up paying a lot to get. And then if you're independently wealthy, you can pay to get lots of your stuff published. That doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this book uh, that is coming in October this year, uh, it's from the same publisher? No, it's from a different publisher. Oh, it's a different. Uh, it's from a publisher that I've worked for before where I did a chapter for a book, somebody else's <coughs> book, right? Okay. Uh, this is Equinox. It's a company in Britain. Okay. Um, Bloomsbury is too technically, but they have a U.S. Mm -hmm. station place too. Whereas Equinox is primarily the Britain. Um, what am I saying? Yeah. But I really like what they do because they do kind of more critical studies in religion. Whereas Bloomberry, Bloomsbury, I associate more with philosophy. Mm -hmm. So this book is really kind of a textbook for a religious studies class, like how to study religious scriptures well academically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And does this book already have a title? Yeah. And I it's a it. secret? I, I, no, 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 I'll tell you. I love it. Uh, interpretation, colon, a critical primer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just getting you ready critically for what interpretation is. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And uh, can you explain a little bit more on what the book will be about, like, Do you care? Yeah. Really? Yes. I guess, I guess, right, like, there's some students that came to the night with the author, or evening with the author that mm -hmm. I did in the library, and the students were like, aren't you proud of what you did? How do you feel that you've, like, published books? I'm like, I guess I don't think about it. I just move on to the next thing. <laughs> I don't, like, savor the accomplishment or anything. And part of it is psychologically for me, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of... Like, I don't want to take up space. I want to get out of the way for other people, right? Yeah. Already you've noticed with this, I've probably asked you as many questions as you asked me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of doing that. Every time that you ask me a question, I'm asking <laughs> you one. Um, but anyway, so this book, I care a lot about figuring out what an interpretation even is. Like, what counts as an interpretation? Is anything not an interpretation? Is everything interpretation? If everything is interpretation, why even use the word anymore? Mm -hmm. Isn't there, s and can somebody have an incorrect interpretation? Or is, if it's an incorrect interpretation, it's not an interpretation. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so for me, like, I, I honestly don't know what counts as it. Uh, this happens in law. It's not just about religious books. It happens in philosophy books, literature, poetry, right? M sheet music to interpret a piano piece. Yeah. Okay. So, so for me, I want to know what it's like to interpret a text. And, and so <laughs> look, I'm trying to pitch to you. I, 
<laughs> is this even interesting to you? Yeah. I mean. Okay. So, so usually people will argue that mm-hmm. to in, think, think about the Supreme Court arguing about how to interpret the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Is a good or successful or correct interpretation where you get at the author's intent? What did the founders intend with the Constitution? So I'm trying, they're, they're called originalists. They want to get at the author's intent. So if I can just identify the author's intent, is that enough? Am I done? That's a successful interpretation. Oh, you know, Thomas Jefferson meant this, right? When he said all human beings are created equal, he meant just men and he meant just white men. I got it, his intent. I've correctly interpreted it. Is that it? I'm done? Okay, A. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> like I, so obviously I'm not one of these people, the mm-hmm. originalists. I just yeah. think that they're, I, I think that they're wrong. But how do you argue that they're wrong? Because the alternative is usually set up with, it's called reader response theory, meaning readers make of the, the text what they will make of it. And in a way, that's what you have to do with laws, right? How does this law apply to this new situation? Mm-hmm. So you're continually trying to apply it. But is application part of interpretation or is it separate? So, so for reader response theory, they're kind of saying the application is the interpretation. Mm-hmm. It's not getting at the author's intent. That might be helpful, but that's not the end of the story. Yeah. The end of the story is how the reader deals with their life after having read the text. Um, so, but then readers can make things say whatever they want, right? How do you control reader caprice? Yeah. So then the third option that people would use, and this is the new criticism, uh, it's called uh, text interpretation, where they say, well, the text itself is what you interpret and what determines whether your interpretation is correct or incorrect. And in a way, that makes sense because many things that I read, I have no idea who the author even is. So for instance, like I'm teaching this class for this book for a class, okay? I never tell the students who the author is. I never show them a video of the author. And I'm asking them, do you understand what's being said? I'm not asking them, do you understand the author's intent? Mm -hmm. And I don't ask them, how are you going to apply this to your life? Okay, so in that case, you're trying to just get the text itself. Mm -hmm. But my contribution... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that I don't think any of those three are correct. Mm-hmm. The text one is closest to what I advocate for. Uh, it's called the hermeneutic priority of questioning. Obviously, I talk a lot about questions, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in part because questions are happening all the time. And to really be able to interpret a text is to ask the questions to which the text responds. Mm-hmm. And if you're not asking, right, think of when you're reading a page of a book and you get to the bottom of the page and you're like, what did I just read? Surely you did that with my class a couple times, right? Yeah. We're like, wow, I'm reading Jasbir Puar's, uh, <laughs> what was it, The Right to Maim, and it's like bio biopolitics, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, what did I just read? I can't follow a single thing on this page. It's so hard. Well, part of the reason why it's hard is because you're not able to ask the question that the author is writing to address. Mm -hmm. 
I don't even know how to get in a position to ask a question if I don't know the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But I've got to learn the vocabulary and then I kind of have the tools ready and then I've got to figure out what's the question that they're asking. And now I can interpret the text because I know the question and how they're answering the question. But now uh, I realize that their answer is just one option among many options for answering that question. Do I think it's the best answer? Do I think it's one among a couple options? Do I think it's one among many options? Right? So that's what that's what the book's about. Oh. Yeah. I think oftentimes what we forget about when we interpret mm -hmm. and talk about perspective. I mean, we started off talking about like we all have different perspectives. Yeah. Well, but if it's true that we all have different perspectives, there is one thing that's the same. Having a perspective is the same for all of us. It just so happens that we have different perspectives. So how do you analyze the part that's the same, that we have perspectives, mm -hmm. and then the part that's different, the differing aspects of our perspectives? So what even is a perspective? So, so this is why I like questions like, can God ask a genuine question? If you believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, mm -hmm. That means that the God knows all the facts. So do they have a perspective or not? Because for me, having a perspective means I have a limit. I don't have unlimited knowledge. I have a limit to my knowledge. What else is a perspective but to have an angle? And an angle has boundaries. But God knows everything. No boundaries. So is that a perspective or not? And if it's not, then how can I get into a conversation with an entity that doesn't have a perspective? Because doesn't conversation emerge from the fact that we have different perspectives? Well, you're, yeah. you're blowing my mind right now. Right? It's cool. <laughs> uh, but for me, for me, that's the kind of theoretical dimension. Uh -huh. But the practical dimension goes, okay, well, this is actually a political statement because what we're really talking about is the nature of authority. Mm -hmm. And if an authoritarian will not admit that their perspective is a mere perspective, an authoritarian is absolute. So, for instance, can an, can an authoritarian ask questions? Well, uh, there are certain philosophers that I agree with that authoritarians will say something like, you can't ask any questions. We're the ones that are going to ask the questions around here, like a police interrogation. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying those are not the kind of questions that are real questions. Real questions we can't help but ask. We don't, I call them genuine questions, but interrogation questions, they're just a tool we use to get our way. Right? I want the information so that I can book you. Yeah. Um, whereas genuine questions like, are good books good reads? Hmm. You know? Like, yeah. I don't know. There, there are some books that are called classics, and I hate reading them, but I know that I should. Well, it's like... And there are books that I really love reading, but I yeah. call them guilty pleasure. <laughs> like, they're not good books. Yeah, I, I can put this with another example because I, I honestly don't read a lot. Uh, I would like to read more, but I don't know. I just maybe don't get... 
in, in merge to the reading mm -hmm. most of the time, but it happens to me with the classic thing about the movies, for exactly. example. Music too. Yeah, I, I always uh, hear people saying, hey, have you seen these classic Disney movies? And no, not at all. I don't like them. The Cinderella or yeah, yeah, the yeah. Beauty and the Beast. And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm, I haven't. I, not only have I not watched them, I know that I probably wouldn't enjoy them if I yeah. did, but I know that they're culturally important, mm -hmm. so I guess I do have to know about them. Yeah. Right? It's just the same thing. Yeah. And uh, also, I, I wanted to ask you about this because I did some research on you uh -oh. before oh before no. this uh, conversation. And on your Twitter, you have in your <laughs> description aspiring troublemaker yeah. and anti-racist yeah. can you expand on that so so i'm aspiring to be an anti-racist i'm not i don't say it like i am and <laughs> so aspiring applies to both so are you familiar with john lewis mm. he's a he's a uh democrat um, um congressman uh he marched with martin luther king jr mm. okay um and he has this phrase where he's like make good trouble right Because if you just follow the status quo, yeah. and the status quo is actually racist, sexist, ableist, you know, all of that, homophobic, yeah. whatever, then the only way to change things is to make trouble relative to the status quo. Does that mean to be a troublemaker, like, <laughs> right, 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 just for its own sake? No, no, it's not about destruction. It's yeah. about growth. How can we improve things for all humankind? Well, and, and now, like with the environmental crisis, it's, it's got to be more than humankind, right? We got to yeah. be post-human, as you might hear uh, Professor uh, Chris Hill talk about, Chris Hall talk about, right? Um, so, so how how can we make trouble so that we improve the current conditions? Mm -hmm. And for me, like anti-racism is one of the most important conditions yeah. under which hierarchies are developed um anti-black racism is now a global phenomena and so anything we can do to try to push back against any symptom of anti-black racism uh is what we need to do i i try to do that the best i can but i know i'm not great at it uh so for instance right now uh there's a lot of conversation going on about this philosopher named emmanuel kant that i have done a lot of research in, um, I don't, I try not to identify like, oh, I'm a Wittgensteinian or, oh, hmm. I'm a, I'm a Heideggerian or yeah. I'm a Kantian. But from Immanuel Kant, I've gotten a lot of good ideas, but his, some of his philosophy promotes racism. He's writing in the late 1600s, early 1700s, maybe the late 1700s, early 1600s, mm -hmm. when you have colonialism starting and you have, you definitely have anti-black chattel slavery happening. Yeah. And so he's theorizing like races have an essence and they belong on this hierarchy. Uh, so the question is, do I mention that to students when I teach him? Or will they dismiss what his good ideas because he's got bad ideas too? Mm. And this is something that I think philosophy as a whole has to deal with because philosophy as a whole has a white man problem. Mm -hmm. You think of a philosopher, you think of Socrates. Yeah. Uh, some people like won't even count Asian philosophers as 
true philosophers because they're mystical, right? I mean, it's just, and, and to me, that's political and bureaucratic. So what can we do with the philosophy major here to try to change things? And so, for instance, you know, Catherine uh, Martinez yeah. Bohorkis, right? Uh, she and I have talked about how we can start to include what, what I've tried really hard to be inclusive with my classes, right, and the curriculum and all that. But even still, I don't think, I think there's maybe one or two classes where I include Hispanic philosophers mm. or Latinx philosophers, right? Um, and so why not, wh- how, what can I do to try to increase the, the voices of Hispanic philosophers in my classes? Yeah. So that's that's an area that I'm like I can grow in there, uh, and and so it's not perfect. That's why I mean aspiring, right? I yeah. aspire to, but I'm not perfect. Do you push you to one day maybe not aspire but be, like? I, I don't know. It's the same thing with being a philosopher, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't have philosopher on yeah. my thing, right? Because in a way, I don't really consider myself a philosopher. I consider myself a student of philosophy. Um, Uh, I would say a scholar of philosophy, but I wouldn't say a philosopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because the people who self-identify as philosophers, it's kind of like it's kind of like in Buddhism. Like nobody who actually achieves nirvana says, "I'm an enlightened Buddha," <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> can you imagine somebody walking around saying that? It's like, yeah. Well, now I know you're not. <laughs> Yeah. So the same thing. It's like yeah. philosophy as an aspiration, not a, not a being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and honestly, this connects with how to philosophize about categories that we put people into, like racial categories, gender categories, uh, uh, career categories. Right? Yeah. Are you your career, or are or or do you aspire to improve how you perform your career? Is your career part of your identity or is your career something you do to support your capacity for living and how you live is your identity i I don't know right like we don't we don't actually have to do philosophy right now (laughs) yeah yeah, well all this conversation has been kind of philosophy you know i came here knowing who i was and now I'm lost. What am I even doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we're getting uh, to the end of the conversation right now. How do you know? Because I'm in the last part of the script. <laughs> the last part of the script? But what if what if this <laughs> next question leads into a tangent that yeah, lasts you know, three hours? Well, <laughs> that's true. That can happen. But it's the last part of the script, okay. at least. All yeah, right. that's better. <laughs> um, and um, I don't think it will be three hours because this is kind of a dynamic that I have with my guests. Oh, this is that like bullet thing? Yeah, uh-oh, uh, a uh-oh. short phrase or okay, okay. one word answer if you if you like whatever this. on different questions. Mm-hmm. So the first one is favorite color. <laughs> favorite color? Yeah. What are the options? I mean, I what feel like my like? knowledge of the color palette is is superficial. It's mm-hmm. not depth. I have no depth with my color palette, so, I mean, I, I guess it doesn't make sense <laughs> to me to have a favorite color. So you don't have a favorite. Do you? Blue? 
what does that mean to have blue? <laughs> like, so you're saying like, anytime that I'm doing anything, I would rather have the color blue. Like, why not have blue foam then? <laughs> Because I I know I'm not the owner of this, you know. <laughs> But you don't have a blue shirt on. What you're gonna get away from me? My favorite color now. <laughs> I'm not trying to take it from you. I'm just trying to say like, yeah, I guess I have to question like blue, everything. Yeah, I just have blue things. <laughs> I mean, I, I it's. I'm not trying to say that I don't have a favorite color. <laughs> it's just that I don't think about things that way. Um, But but if I had to answer, yeah, if you if you could choose a color, it's impossible. Or your life depended, right? On black a... <laughs> black is the absence of color or the total uh, immersion of color. The total immersion, right? Light is that white is white light is the absence of color. Is that you're, it? You're getting me on that. I I I am one or the other, right? One or yeah, the, one it depends or the on other. if it's yeah. light colors or if it's paint colors, right? Yeah. Like that that's part of what depends on which one is which but so so let's do the rainbow <laughs> rainbow the rainbow's my favorite okay right the the prism <laughs> the the whole spectrum yeah what is the first thing you do are, when wait, wait 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 are there colors that we can't see mm, i don't know if ultraviolet they're ultraviolet rays right yeah. ultraviolet i don't know if that's a color though i think it's just a It's not a color, I think. It doesn't count as a color? No. No, I don't think. Okay. Then <laughs> then how about can can transparent be my favorite color? I don't know if that's a color too. Okay, fine. <laughs> Because maybe it's fine. the absence fine. of color. Blue. Blue. <laughs> no, actually so it used to I used to say green, but then uh, my partner recently told me that green is my unlucky color. <laughs> so Now I feel like I can't have green as my favorite color. Why? Why it's your unlucky color? Because <laughs> they consulted like a horoscope of some sort. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> okay. So green, blue, <laughs> sure. transparent. Sure. <laughs> um, what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Hit the snooze. <laughs> Pet uh, my dog. Pet my dog. Okay. Uh, religion? Uh, I practice Zen Buddhism <coughs> to some degree. Um, this Look, this is a hard question. I have been baptized in the Presbyterian Church. I haven't renounced it. So I guess I'm still Presbyterian. I'm more than happy to go to a service, but I'll go to any religious event. Mm -hmm. if, a, if a Hindu invites me to something, I'll go. If a Buddhist invites me to something, if a Muslim, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll participate if somebody welcomes me to do it. Um, I don't, I don't specifically identify as a specific thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and in part because, <laughs> because when somebody asks me, what do you believe? I kind of don't believe in belief because the <laughs> word, the concept doesn't make sense to me. Like, what does it mean to believe something, to hold a statement to be true? Mm -hmm. Like Jesus died for your sins. That's a sentence, right? To believe it means you take it to be true, that that really is the case. And I'm saying, how do you hold a sentence? How do you take a sentence to be true? What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't really get belief. I know how to use belief in conversation. 
so that people are like, oh yeah, he knows what we're, we're talking about. But it doesn't make any sense to me. I just know how to play the game with mm-hmm. the word. So honestly, maybe I'm the religion that like, there's, there is no such thing as religion. Or you take the good things that you feel the, those religions have. Not necessarily, religion. right? Because there are religions, like surely with all the people that belong <coughs> to Scientology, there are people that think there are good things in that. Although mm-hmm. there are lots of people who think there are bad things in it. Yeah. So, but I haven't taken anything good from Scientology to make part of my life. So I'm not like looking for more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so my answer is a non-answer, <laughs> just like before. <laughs> What is your favorite time of the year? And I'm, I, I, I will April. be, <laughs> I'll be surprised that you don't do philosophy on this. <laughs> not, not April. <laughs> April is my least favorite time of the year okay. uh, because it's so full. I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And right. Like, why did we get another vacation day? We just got done with spring break yeah. and now it's good Friday. Look, this is no criticism of Christianity, whatever. Right. Like, but it's just, we have another day off. Like, why didn't we just have spring break? at the same time as Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it's so fragile to get students to be disciplined with doing work. And the more breaks we have, like snow days, anything, yeah. the less disciplined students are. And so we get back from spring break and now we have another day off. I'm going to be lucky if I get good work for two days. Yeah. Left, right? Like it's just everybody's checked out. <laughs> Nobody wants to do this. Uh, and, and I despise that. It's yeah. like, we all agreed to do this. We do it till the end. We, we do it till the bitter end, <laughs> you know? Um, but anyway, so favorite time of year, I prefer cold months to hot months. I would rather have snow yeah. than sun. So maybe the Christmas season. <laughs> but I don't particularly like Christmas. Okay. I'm happy to participate, but ha- if, if I'm left to my own devices, I wouldn't have a tree or anything. Uh, but I put up a tree when people like, I don't know if you saw, like I hosted some, uh, international students Mm -hmm. for Thanksgiving and I let them put up the Christmas tree, (laughs) right? Happy for them. If they enjoy it, good. But you don't, you don't do it by your your own. Say it again. You don't do it by your own, like setting a tree, things like that. Yeah. Uh, what makes you angry? What makes me angry? Yeah. One thing that makes you angry. Because we're talking and maybe students will listen to this. Here's one thing. Uh, You know how I do group work in class where the students talk with each other? Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing that, like, bothers me the most in those situations is, A, when students get up and go to the bathroom when their fellow students are talking. Because to me, it's like, disrespect me all you want, but do not disrespect the other students in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Like, That is the most, right? If you're going to be on your phone while I'm lecturing, fine. That's your grade. But if you're going to be on your phone while the person next to you is talking to you, mm-hmm. you're an asshole. <laughs> <gasps> wait, wait, wait. Ooh. Did I just call students an asshole? Yeah. Can I do that? Yeah. You're allowed, I think. <laughs> you no, know, you're I, not, no, I, you're I, not supposed to do that. <laughs> I just mean, I just mean I find it very rude and people should not do that. <laughs> you know, but now it's kind of like I'm licensing students to disrespect me <laughs> What? too, because I'm saying I would rather have you get up and go to the bathroom mm-hmm. while I'm lecturing. Well, really just take care of it all before you get to the classroom. Like I'm not leaving the class mid lecture to like, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just 50 minutes. 
<laughs> well, yeah. um, how will you describe your personality? What do you mean? You like yourself? How how will you describe yourself in the sense of how you interact with people and everything? Uh, people pleaser, just desperate for people to like me. So I do a lot of performing for other people uh, when, you know, so like a class, right? Like I've got to be, it's like, I don't have the energy to like make a class fun every day that we get to class. Mm -hmm. And sometimes students will come in and the first thing they'll say to me is like, can we cancel class <laughs> or something, right? Do we have, I'm so tired. Do we have to be here today? And I'm like, do you think I'm not tired? Like, I don't want to be here. You're chip you're chiseling away at my ability to maintain energy, <laughs> right? I can only maintain so much energy, and I can't maintain your energy for you, too. And so I need you to give me a little bit of energy so that I can make it, too. Mm -hmm. So I guess part of my personality is to, like, fake energy till the point of exhaustion. <laughs> I guess that's my personality. Is that an introvert, right? Like, it's exhausting to me to be around people, okay. right? Uh, but nobody knows that because I'm, like, trying to be chummy and fun mm -hmm. and whatever, right? But it's a lot of energy to, like, yeah. entertain or <laughs> edutain is what I call it. Other people have called it that, too. Edutainment. Because hmm. I got to make the class somewhat <laughs> yeah. fun. Or else students are going to complain because they're more like customers rather than students. No offense. <laughs> um, this is not in the questions, but I wanted to ask you, uh, at what time do you usually go to sleep? It used to be college ruins you, right? So f I'm finally feeling like I'm starting to get recovered. Uh, it used to be I would go to bed. I would think going to bed at one and getting up at six oh. was a good night's sleep. <laughs> no. It used to think that. <laughs> Now... Right, and so I don't. When you were a student in my class, w I had assignments due at 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. Now they're due at eight, oh. because because I can't stay up that late. I'm, okay. I'm too old. So now I set my alarm for 10:30, and I'm in bed by 11 or 11:30. I try to be mm. right? wow. uh, on on work nights, on on weekend nights, free for all. I might <laughs> stay up till three. I might go to bed at eight. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, what will you buy? What about if, you though? Huh? Um, oof, I, I, I have a pretty bad schedule yeah. for sleeping. Uh, I don't have a specific time, but usually it's very late, like 2 a.m., something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> Just, I mean, part of the reason why I've gotten more disciplined about my sleep is because the more you research impacts of sleep on health, the more you realize that, like, prioritizing sleep is part of, being healthier mm -hmm. right so like yeah. thinking back to when you're panicking and all that part of it may be that you're you have a history of not sleeping well yeah and if you would prioritize your sleep you might be able to see that you have less residual anxiety because you've actually gotten a good night's sleep yeah and that's true because uh sometimes what really makes me go to bed and try to sleep is that i start maybe feeling kind of symptoms of anxiety mm -hmm. maybe starting mm -hmm. something like that and I, I'm like whoa 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 what's this mm -hmm. <laughs> and I go to bed but then the next day I forget about it and yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and, and other things take priority, right? Yeah. Uh, you've got to get an assignment in, so you pull an all-nighter to get your assignment done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next question is, what would you buy if you receive a gift of a million dollars? I'd pay off all my debt because I have student loans mm -hmm. that I have to pay off. A lot from undergrad, actually. More from undergrad than graduate school. Uh, and I've got a house that I now own, so I would try to pay for that. <laughs> uh, but then after all that is taken care of, then I would probably just try to give it away. I don't know. There, there's nothing, right? Anything that I want, I get because I'm an adult mm -hmm. who has a decent income. But I'm kind of a minimalist. It's not like I want lots of things. I want a car that works. Mm -hmm. Does it work? Then I have a car. Do I want an amazing car? Well, no, because that just means I'm going to have to pay a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, like, what can I do? What, what can I do with that money so that it has the most immediate impact on people? That's what I would hope I would do with the money. But who knows? I would probably be greedy. <laughs> it's like buy a whole bunch of, I don't know, yeah. spaghetti. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> next question is TV shows or movies? What do you prefer? TV, which do I prefer? TV shows for company, meaning I have them on while I do other things, mm -hmm. especially ones that I've watched before. Um, um, but movies for, like, closer attention. Mm -hmm. What's the last movie you watched? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, this weird, weird movie on Netflix titled. What was the title? <laughs> White Noise. White Noise. Yeah, it's got. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter who's in it, but it's it's this. So I, I mean, if, have you noticed that there's lots of movies with professors in them, but they're always the bad guy, especially the white male professors. They're always like abusing students or drug addicts or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, who knows? But this movie, the professor the professor and his family are trying to survive an apocalyptic event like the COVID pandemic, hmm. but it's more like an explosion, like what happened in East Palestine, Ohio. Have you heard about this? The train oh, yeah, exploded, yeah. created toxic conditions, yeah. right? So they're trying to survive this thing. And it's just really interesting to watch. And, like, mm. the it, it's so surreal and weird and amazing. It's, I think it's by the same people. What else did they do? Anyway, White Noise. It was, White noise. I'm glad that I watched it. I don't, uh, I don't know if I could watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Why? It's only. I just don't know if it would be as good. It's mm. like, for some reason, it was last Saturday night. I think for some reason I had all my work done and I'm just like, I'm going to turn this movie on see what this is. Hmm. And I literally allowed myself to just watch it. But now if I were to watch it again, I would do something else. Yeah. Right? I might eat while I'm watching. I might, I might do laundry while I'm watching. And because I'm doing it that way, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, the last one is not a question, but it's uh, an opportunity for you. Although you have already asked me some questions, you yeah. have another opportunity to ask me any question that you What's want. a question you would ask yourself if you were in this situation? <laughs> I don't know. Really? Yeah. What would you ask? Ooh. 
<laughs> That's the question. What, what does the B stand for? Huh? The C R, right? Uh-huh. Christian Rodriguez. Uh, it's uh, my second last name, Bonilla. And, and then C D R B is Christian David. That's the ah. Uh, that's what I was missing. Yeah, it's the middle name. That's okay. the, David. David. Uh, <laughs> so, so I had to get my license uh, renewed or something. I'd never looked at my birth certificate, and I saw my birth certificate for the first time. <laughs> and I always thought my name was Nathan Eric Dickman, but it turns out my name on my birth certificate is Nathan Eric Gotti Dickman, G A D E, <laughs> pronounced Gotti. Gotti. Hmm. Yeah. So like, you have weird. two last names. Yeah, I think it's my m- mother's maiden name. Wow. Yeah. That's not common for... I know. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, why Why did they have it on my birth certificate but never put it on, like, my Social Security information? Mm-hmm. Why did they call me Eric? My family calls me Eric my whole life. Oh, really? So, so I have, like, a spoken name versus a paper name. Anybody mm. that calls me on the phone and says, is Nathan there, I know that they don't know me. <laughs> but you... you who somebody recently was saying Nathan anyway uh, but yeah questions for you um, when you think about your friends that went to bigger universities whether in the US or whether in other countries do you regret your choice to be here <laughs> um, I don't know I think Regretting about something doesn't help. Really? So, because you can't change some things. And, for let, example, let me, if I... Me, me, you're trying to avoid my questions like I avoid <laughs> yours. So, so hold on. I'm going to change the question <laughs> to, have you noticed that there are things that your friends got to do that you wish you could have done too? Yeah. Such like... Having the possibility to get a master's after I graduate, for example, from here. Uh, I mean, I could do that, but I can't there's here limit, in the there's U.S. There's restrictions. And, yeah. So yeah. for that side, because I don't know why, but I am already like fixed to if I want a master's, I want it from here. I already did some research and I have a university that I, I would like to go to. Yeah. But I don't have that possibility at least for four years. Right, right, right. So, right. yeah, m- maybe in that part, I'm I'm seeing a lot of friends that already have their masters uh, ready to go uh, next fall to a, a lot of you universities. Need friends here. Yeah, yeah. Friends. What here. about what about? Uh, do you have other friends uh, that are Walton scholars that aren't at Ozarks? Do you have friends that are Waltons at other institutions? Yeah, but I think it's almost the same for them. Maybe mm-hmm. in the aspect of more chances of maybe getting better um, outcomes after they graduate. They um, have better chances? For example, in, in, in the other university, uh, Harding University, they have uh, masters there. So I don't know if they can... As part of the university. Yeah. So that maybe they could, like, prolong staying in the U.S. and get their master's. But, yeah, I was... that For that part, and... and No offense to Harding, but do you really want a master's from Harding? I don't know. No offense. I don't know. I I actually know nothing about it. Yeah, me neither. But All I'm saying is... I went to their campus, like, uh, a week ago, and... 
in some aspects, well, they are a, a bigger institution, bigger, right. so uh, obviously they probably will have more, yeah. uh, a bigger they campus. Just, I want to say it, they might be bigger, but we're better. Do you think it's better here, here at those Arts? I think this place is awesome. Yeah. Uh, great, great colleagues, great students, great staff and administrators. Yeah. If there was something bad that you could say about Ozarks without the fear of getting fired. <laughs> without the fear of getting fired? What would it be? Bad? <laughs> Or something that look, needs look, a lot of look, improvement. I think we have a little bit of trouble recruiting faculty and staff that stay. Mm -hmm. especially ones that might be more representative of some of our student body. Hmm. So, for instance, right now, um, how many faculty of color are there? I think it's on us when we do a search committee mm -hmm. to be more <coughs> proactive about reaching out to recruit underrepresented faculty mm -hmm. and staff and administrators yeah right but it's hard to know how to do that when you just get assigned the task of you're on this committee for this search right like think of all the professors like political science had to get two professors right yeah and so I may I, I don't even know who was on those committees right and I I was on who was on my committee right when they hired me And so you just get put on a committee and you just start getting applications, right? So what can we do the step before that mm -hmm. to try to make sure that we're getting blasts into recruitment for more representative faculty, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't see that as a, a, what did you say, a negative thing that I could say about, yeah, about without that. getting fired? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think most people would agree Yeah. yeah, we could do more, uh, and we need to be more intentional about that. And the more we talk about it, the more intentional we'll become about it, the better it'll get, right? Mm -hmm. But do you want to take an urgent view of it, or do you want to take a long view of it, right? We, How are you – it's also unethical for us to deliberately recruit someone who will be very unhappy in Clarksville, yeah. right? So if we're going to recruit, we've got to make sure that this place is, can be a home for underrepresented faculty, right? Yeah. Or staff or whatever. Um, so it's complicated. Uh, would it, mm, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Ooh, the first of what would you, <laughs> what about you? What what would you say about the school that could get you fired? Well, um, I'm about one month of getting my degree, right. so I, I don't want to risk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know what I will change. <clears throat> uh, well, I mean, I'm part of the Walton Scholarship Program, so yeah. probably things that... Have uh, to do with that. Um benefit us a little bit more because right now what I feel from my perspective is that we're kind of 
out of the bubble of Ozarks in a lot of aspects. Um, we're not let, uh, we're not able to do a lot of the things that other international students do. And probably that from that part is that I will try to maybe say, hey, this needs to be yeah. improved. Like, yeah. Uh, for example, and that sounds like something that would need to be done on a broader level, right? Yeah. It's not something that would need to change about our school. Mm -hmm. It would need to change about the Walton Foundation. Yeah. 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 But probably that's part of Interesting. what I'm, yeah. Uh, what would you change about yourself? Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> I don't know. Probably a lot of things, but <laughs> right now <laughs> there's not one that comes to my mind so really yeah that's great that's good N why <laughs> that means that you're content with your life right like you're not sitting there looking for like oh i wish i was somebody else you yeah know? well I, I i mean probably more than more this semester i've been doing a lot of things uh trying to make my curriculum look a little bit nicer so i think Right now, I'm a little bit better on that side, mm -hmm. but probably one year before or things like that. And that's has some connection with the issue that Walton scholars have here mm -hmm. because I've been trying since my second year to get a job and I've been trying in the cafeteria. I've right. been trying in a lot of places and I don't even get answers sometimes. It's like right. talking to a wall and yeah, yeah, I don't... Yeah. No, it, like even a, there, there were jobs where I'm applying to be a professor at a yeah. college, mm -hmm. and I don't even know if they got my application. Yeah, that's and, and I hate that. It's been ten years. Yeah, never hear a thing. Yeah, I hate that because I will appreciate more they saying no, you suck, you don't have the yeah, job, yeah. but at least letting me know. But they don't even tell me anything, and that has happened since my since my second year here. Yeah. And um, I've been trying to apply to any other job position available, but I don't see anything, so probably. Yeah, and when everybody is looking for jobs, it's hard to see that if there even are any spaces for us. Yeah, yeah. and that's why I started to do this type of projects yeah, because yeah. even though they are not like a job itself, yeah. like a paid job, anything, yeah. it's like Enhancing a professional experience. Exactly. So I think I'm better. I feel better with myself because I'm feeling that I'm doing something yeah. that will help my career, and yeah. I'm like working on paving my career. So yeah, yeah. that's Great. probably Good for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's probably why I can't say something that I will change. Probably because I'm maybe changing them yeah, already you're, you're already doing the change that's great yeah, yeah. Um, any other uh, final words that you would like to say before we end this episode I'm really glad you had me on thank you yeah. it's been a pleasure talking with you yeah I appreciate you coming here I uh, honestly um, I'm uh, another person now with a lot of things that we talked today um uh, I have a lot to think to, tonight, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, this is going to stick with me, too. Yeah. <laughs> so so who listens? Have you? So you've made these four. Yeah. This will be the fourth one, right? Can you track how yeah, many I people are listening? Yeah, I can track them. Actually, I, I, can, I can tell you a little bit of... 
because it's interesting because you can see even from yeah from which states uh, mm -hmm. the is the people coming to the to the episode. Um, mm -hmm. Where are the analytics here? The audience, uh, sixty-seven percent is from the United States. Wow. Twelve percent is from Mexico. Wow. Seven percent from Honduras. Yeah. Six percent from Guatemala. Two yeah. percent Costa Rica. Two percent Nicaragua. One percent mm -hmm. El Salvador. One mm percent -hmm. Panama. And you can even uh, this app even lets you like see the age of yeah, the yeah, that's amazing. people. Yeah, and uh, that's so cool. Yeah, you can see. Uh, I think it's from the um, web app that you can mm -hmm. you can see it uh, yeah. more because here you can't see the right. which states right. it's from. But uh, I have seen from from the computer the the people that is watching like, listening to to the podcast from mm -hmm. all the states in the that's United awesome. States. That's awesome. Yeah, well, that's great. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you. Yeah. This has been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, that is listening to this episode of the CDRB Show. I'm Christian Rodriguez, and you can follow us on Instagram at CDRB Productions. I'm Christian Rodriguez again, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.